We come now to a, an unconventional uh, evening topic. It's the topic of how the 50th General Assembly of the PCA went just a few weeks ago, June 13th through 15th in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I got to walk down Beale Street with Pastor Wright and some others. We were walking in Memphis, walking with our feet 10 feet off of Beale. Uh, we got to enjoy some good food and some good fellowship. I was able to reconnect with um, a friend of mine from college who was one of two friends in my, um, my groomsmen party. There were four, two brothers and two friends, and one of them is a pastor in Texas, and I got to reconnect with him. Uh, we had good times of fellowship and um, eating together and uh, talking together and doing the business of the church together. And we believe that these are things that God has designed for the church in order to preserve the church, in order to govern the church. He's, he's given uh, the roles, specifically the role of elder. And I think it's helpful if I start uh, very briefly to uh, explain General Assembly is not, um, as some people would imagine, the papacy. A few people in some remote location who make all the decisions for the, for the church. The members of the General Assembly are made up of people who sit in the pews of their churches every Sunday and gather together in this place once a year. So the elders of our church, the provisional session, that, are, that is the elders at Redeemer, uh, went on our behalf. And once we as Christ Pres have our own elders elected to office, we will send our men as delegates to General Assembly to be making the decisions. So you have the, uh, the elders of each church, uh, the session. Uh, the, the elders of all the uh, sessions make up the presbytery, which is like the regional governance. And then above the presbytery is the General Assembly, which gathers once a year. The General Assembly is, uh, it's, it's a really, I don't, maybe you should uh, Google this at some point, pictures of the 2023 PCA General Assembly. There are about 5,000 seats in this conference room. Uh, and it is, there are eight microphones spread throughout. There are large screens. There's a huge stage. And it's, it's a place of um, lots and lots of people and seems to be, I mean, it feels like very large proceedings, and they are. These are, these are important decisions. Um, but the votes that showed up on the screen, the votes that are made with those clicking devices are made by people who sit in the pews. Uh, so our church is run by the people who have been elected to be elders in their churches. And I think that's something that we need to um, remember as I go through the decisions that were made. It's helpful to remember these are not decisions made that are imposed on the church. These are decisions made by the people of the church. And, and I'm actually very encouraged by how things went at General Assembly this year. Uh, I left very um, optimistic that we're not going to go the way of the United Methodist Church uh, anytime soon. And we're not going to go the way of our, um, our mother church, if you will, the, United, the, the USA Church, the Presbyterian Church USA. Uh, in fact, we wrote a letter to the PCUSA when we left back in 1973. I believe the letter is dated in 73. And it was a letter explaining their waywardness and why we as a denomination have left. And one of the decisions that was made this year, the General Assembly voted to resend that letter. Not to take it back, but to send it again uh, to, to our mother saying, this is the 50th anniversary of, our, of breaking away from you. And we want to remind you, we still 
pray that you would return to biblical faithfulness. Uh, and so that letter can be found, um, any, I'm sure, anywhere online. Um, in the PCA, there are um, 88 presbyteries. Ours is the Ohio Presbytery. And there are about eight churches and a couple mission churches within the Ohio Presbytery. Uh, the Ohio Presbytery is, uh, is small but mighty. We are well represented for a presbytery as small as we are. And that's because we have men who care about the church. And so men who have been elected to office. We have four uh, elders in our, um, in our presbytery who are on permanent committees. That means they go and they do a lot of work beforehand so that General Assembly can go smoothly. They make a lot of the background decisions that present the votes and the options to the General Assembly. One of those is um, uh, Jason Pyland is on the Committee for Constitutional Business, the permanent committee. Uh, Lee Hutchings uh, from Trinity Church in Canton is on uh, CDM, Committee for uh, Discipleship. I can't remember the name of it. Do you remember the name of it? Christian. CDM. This is, I should know this. Um, I don't, I don't remember it. It has to do with discipleship ministries, probably Christian discipleship ministries. Yeah. Um, that, that's bad. I should know that. And we had two more elected this year. So our nominating committee met uh, back in March and gathered together and proposed a docket of men that they suggested should be elected to certain positions. Two of those men that were recommended by the nominating committee, of which I'm actually a part, and I was this year and will be for two more years. Uh, The nominating committee recommended two. Um, First is uh, Rhett Dodson from uh, pastor at Grace Presbyterian in Hudson. He's now on the SJC, the Standing Judicial Commission, which functions a lot like the Supreme Court of the PCA. And then we have ruling elder Scott Wolf. Uh, who was elected to the Mission to the World uh, Committee. And he's from uh, Trinity Church in Canton. So those are some of our new uh, elections this year. There are 1,627 churches in the PCA as of last year. So that's 1,600. That's 34 more than the year before. There are over 300 mission churches. We're down about 20 from the year before, but uh, perhaps some of those had particularized. Uh, which may be part of why those numbers are down. And, um, but some also have closed. Even here in the Ohio Presbytery, we have seen that uh, recently. There are, are 5,247 teaching elders, that is pastors in the PCA. 5,247. And uh, church membership last year is over 390,000. So we're approaching 400,000. And some estimate that we're already there this year. Um, in terms of uh, 400,000 members in the PCA. At General Assembly, there were 2,290 voting elders. Not every elder can go. Well, any elder could go as long as a church sends them, but a church gets a, a certain number of delegates. So Redeemer Church gets to send two ruling elders because of the size of the church. When they, once they reach a certain threshold, they're able to send another to represent uh, the larger um, membership of the church. But every teaching elder does get to go uh, and to vote. So I, I, am, I get to go even though um, I am the only teaching elder. I, we have no ruling elders, but I get to go on behalf of, of Redeemer and of Christ Prez. So of the 2,290 men who were there voting, um, just over 1,500 were teaching elders and almost 700 were ruling elders. So that's a lot of numbers.
questions right now about just kind of who gathered. Uh, I'll get into a, a lot of other details about the different committees and agencies and all that before we move on. But yes. Maybe off topic, but it's a demographics question. Yeah. Um, what is the uh, ratio of pastoral teaching elder need to like available upcoming teaching elders? Because I've heard in the past that there are more churches than upcoming pastors and there's quite a few pastors who are on their way out and there are denominations that are getting worried about that and how that's going to be built. I don't think that's a concern for the PCA. I think it's opposite. Is that right? We have more men than we do pulpits. 600 churches, over 5,000 ministries. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're one of those opposites right now. Uh, I know the, the Lutheran church here, they, they can't find a a Missouri Synod pastor to come. So actually their pastor right now is not from their denomination. He's from a different Lutheran denomination. Well, and even, uh, so when we were still in the Bible study phase, we were attending EPC in the morning, mm -hmm. and they were talking about having trouble finding mm -hmm. um, uh, applicants. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, thankfully that's not a problem in the PCA right now. PCA, I believe, is the fastest growing um, Presbyterian denomination in the world. I know it was the fastest growing denomination in the world at some point in the past 10 years. Uh, and we're grateful for that. And a lot of our men come from Reformed Theological Seminary, RTS, out of Jackson, Charlotte, Orlando, Ad Atlanta, D.C., New York. Um, so a lot of campuses now. It's mo mostly um, Jackson and Charlotte and Orlando. Those are the three big ones. So that, that's our main feeder school. Now, we do technically have our own seminary, uh, Covenant Theological Seminary, um, but there have been some questions recently as to the uh, theological trajectory of that seminary. Yes, John. The only people who can vote are the delegates and the teaching elders that go through. Correct. Yeah, so there are lots of, there are families uh, who come as well. Correct, yeah. So though there were 5,000 people there, there were 2,200, almost 2,300 voters. Mm -hmm. And very seldom did our votes actually reach that number because there were many who were out either on committee work or getting lunch with friends or something like that who, who may have missed a vote. So often the votes would come in around 1,500 total. Yes, yeah. Um, can you explain your, the term mission churches? Mission church typic, uh, just generally means church plant. It's a church that... Mm -hmm, yeah, we're one of those. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> So that means a church that is not their own particular, uh, they don't have their own elders. Uh, and, and so that's, that's basically, yeah, we are a mission church. Yep. So we were a new one in 2021. Uh, and so last year we weren't one of the new ones, but we are one of the remaining 300-some mission churches in, in the USA. Or actually in the world, I think. I mean, this covers the PCA around the, around the globe. Okay, there are some permanent committees and agencies. I already mentioned some of those to you, CCB, CDM, Standing Judicial Committee, Mission to the World. And there's also Reformed University Fellowship, which is the campus ministry. There's Mission to the World, which is the international mission. There is Mission to North America, which is the uh, American mission board. There is Covenant College, Covenant Theological Seminary, and there are others. These are the permanent committees that, um, that people have been elected to. Some people... Uh, for example, who work for the um, administrative committee, they oversee so many um, logistical things in the church that that is their full-time job. Uh, and there are a handful of those based out of Atlanta. Um, 
And there was actually uh, a vote this year that was really encouraging to me. And it's that uh, there was um, an overture that was that is going to hold those permanent agencies, the people who are permanently on these uh, committees and agencies, it's going to hold them to accountability to the General Assembly. They have to prove that they are doing what the General Assembly has asked them to do. So they have to prove their compliance to policy changes. This was not um, desired, actually, by some of those in the higher agencies because it's going to require more work on their part. It's going to require them to prove that they are doing what the General Assembly has required. Uh, That is called, uh, this year was called Overture 7. Now, um, Overture 7, let me give you some details on this one. This was the first one to come to the floor. There was a lot of, um, it was a big kerfuffle. Before the floor of General Assembly, before we even got to the floor of General Assembly, people who are part of the Overtures Committee who are helping um, figure out what are we going to present to the General Assembly to vote on, trying to figure out this Overture 7 was never given to the Overtures Committee. It was given to a bunch of the tangential committees uh, with hopes that they might not collectively vote it up because it's going to require more work on the part of the Administrative Committee. But uh, the, the Overtures Committee decided that they were going to, of their own authority, go ahead and take up this overture and present it themselves to the General Assembly. And so it ended up being one of the very first things we voted on, and it came and went without any questions in a matter of about a minute. It was one of those things that ended up... Co- no, everybody loves the idea of this, um, all the General Assembly, and it is accountability for the Atlanta staff and the permanent committees. And so basically, um, what it's requiring, let me see if there is language here. Um, it is, this is added now to our book of church order. And I'll talk about the book of church order here in a minute. And it says, a recording of information sufficient to demonstrate the committees or boards implementation of instructions received from the General Assembly and of material policies and material policy changes adopted by the committee or board in that year. So each of these committees must then send proof that they have that their policies are being met and that any requests made to them are actually being uh, carried through. Uh, and so as we, so I got to gather um, beforehand with the committee of commissioners on to in, on interchurch relations. So that's another one of the the committees, um, interchurch relations committee. So the I, IRC and. And it may be that our interchurch relations committee uh, makes some decisions against what we told them to do last year. In that case, the committee of commissioners, that is a bunch of elders from around around, um, America or around the globe who come together to hold them accountable next year, they may say, you've not proven that you've done what we told you to do last year. Uh, And that will be... um, at that point, there will be some action that the General Assembly can take. So it's, it's preventing us from turning into a top-heavy church structure, and the authority now continues to rest with the, um, the, the elders who, again, who sit in the pews with us every Sunday. Yes? Um, do you, slash, are there people who feel like they're concerned about workers without legitimate, and are, was there provisions to give them resources to miss that extra burden? Yes, so some of the language changes include material policies so that we don't have to review Covenant Colleges. This was an example given in General Assembly. We don't have to review Covenant Colleges parking policy every year. These are material policies. Now that word material is up for interpretation, but things that speak to the substance of what this uh, committee is about. Um, So we understand it's going to increase the work, but we think that this is important work for the church to be able to hold its own committees and, and the permanent committees accountable. 
so yes, is it increased work? Yes. Um, nobody's really upset about that except the people who now, who now have to do the work. Um, right, I guess, was there any provision made for those people? Like, oh. other than you guys slashed yeah. some of the things, like, did they get a pay bump? Did they get an extra week of vacation? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, uh, I, don't, I don't know. That was not discussed. That's, okay. that's, that would fall to a, a committee's work. Okay. Uh, that, would, that may come to us for a vote at some point, but that's not something we can just discuss on the floor. That's a good question. So that's Overture 7, and I know that sounds really... Um, dry. Uh, but that was one of the first things that came and it actually was a little bit of an, uh, an exciting debate leading up to General Assembly. There's another one, the RUF Affiliation Agreement. Let me just put it um, in as brief a terms as I can. Uh, the, the permanent committee for RUF decided that they're going to go ahead and change the structure for, for who employs RUF pastors. Currently, our presbyteries employ RUF pastors, so the Ohio Presbytery employs Nate Bauer at Kent State. RUF has decided uh, they're going to go ahead and take all the pastors under their employment, and this is for logistical reasons, for um, having to do with compensation, having to do with insurance, and some of those, those other things related to employment, uh, and they decided to go ahead and do it as a committee. Now, the problem is committees can't actually do that. Commissions can do that. Committees don't have the authority to do that, so it was found out in the Committee of Commissioners before General Assembly started uh, that RUF was trying to do this without the approval of the Assembly. Long story short, the General Assembly said, you're trying, they felt like you're trying to pull one over us, like you're trying to blind us to this, and so they went ahead and, and sent an a, um, instruction to the RUF committee saying, you can't do this. You have to bring us something to, to vote on. You have to submit to the authority of the General Assembly next year. And so it'll be something to be discussed next year. So is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Okay. Um, there's another on the, there's this risk management having to do with how the PCA Foundation handles finances. Um, but I'm not going to get into that one because it's pretty, that's even drier. Um, so those are some of the, the committee, permanent committees and agencies and the issues that were dealt with. Let me get into some. Well, actually, before we get into Presbytery records, I told you I would uh, address this. The Book of Church Order is a part of our Constitution as a church. That scares a lot of people. Like, oh, man. Is, I mean, this is God's Word plus the Westminster Confessions plus the Book of Church Order. I think it's really important for us to note, first of all, Scripture is not a part of our Constitution. It is a supreme authority. It is above um, any other constitution that we have, but um, the Westminster Standards and the Book of Church Order are our functioning, well, Westminster Standards in a, in a different sense, but the Book of Church Order in particular is a, a very functional and accountability type document. This is how we uh, operate as a church, and uh, it can be changed. So if ever there comes a time where we think the Book of Church Order is totally out of line with Scripture, then we can, as a General Assembly, vote to change it. Um, I'm trying to see... In order to change the BCO, you have to get uh, two-thirds, uh, the majority of the General Assembly. So this year, it would have had to have been about 1,200 um, elders would have had to vote in favor of something. And then it goes back to all the presbyteries over that next year, and two-thirds of those 88 presbyteries then have to vote to approve it. Two-thirds in order to change it. And then it goes back to GA, to General Assembly next year, and then another majority has to ratify it. 
So it's three votes. This is getting to your whole question of, you know, how slow can this process go? And it's to provide those, uh, to make sure these are thoughtful things. We've had some things that were passed last year on uh, some sexuality overtures that passed at General Assembly, but they did not pass two-thirds of the presbyteries over this past year. And so therefore, they did not even come for a vote again because they were dead in the water after failing the two-thirds votes of the 88 presbyteries over the last year. But um, those types of things can come back up, and indeed they did this year. We had another sexuality overture come this year that had no, almost no debate and uh, an overwhelming vote in favor, and I'll, I'll get to that uh, soon. So that's our Book of Church Order. Um, it, is, it is a helpful document, and, and it, is a very, it's, it is a living document. It changes, and that's part of why we gather as a General Assembly to make sure that it is... Um, it is in line with Scripture, and it is good for the purity and peace of the church. Um, so hopefully that stills any fears about having a, uh, a co-authority with Scripture. It is not that. Presbytery records. Doesn't that just get you excited when you hear that phrase? So when presbyteries meet, they take minutes, and there is a committee. I say this with all, all senses of this phrase, bless their hearts. They, <laughs> they meet for a week every spring to review the thousands of pages of minutes of Presbytery's records from that last year. Um, what a gift for those who care um, and know enough to read these things, but it is very important work. The review of Presbytery records um, found... Uh, a couple, uh, well, a lot of issues of substance, but there are a couple that made it to the floor this year uh, in, in terms of discussion. We voted the rest of them kind of in, in gross. You said, yeah, these are all good recommendations on the part of the committee, so we trust them. We'll send those. But one came up for, the, for discussion, um, and it is Metro New York. Metro New York. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read to you here what another um, teaching elder has put together on this topic. The committee uh, recommended that the Review for Presbytery Records Committee uh, recommended that we cite the Metro New York Presbytery, cite them to appear before the Standing Judicial Committee. That is, again, the Supreme Court of the PCA. We cite them with an exception of substance, and the substance is the worst type of um, error that you can have in your uh, record. Sometimes it's just you forgot to put the date on there. Sometimes it's you, you didn't note, notate that uh, somebody was taken in as, um, as a teaching elder. And actually, that was a, a big problem at Ohio Presbytery. We were cited for not approving the call of a teaching elder and for missing or just not recording parts of an exam for licensure and ordination. So those are things we as a presbytery are going to need to improve on for next year. The Review of Presbytery Records Committee found that. But for New York, there this is a big issue of substance. Specifically, um, it is... Uh, referring them to the Standing Judicial Commission for possible censure. The issue is that the Presbytery investigated one of their churches. One of their churches had allowed a woman to give a what they called Bible study during a Sunday morning worship service. A Bible study during church before the Lord's Supper. Now, 
there are a few things here. First of all, you can say it's just a Bible study. She's not preaching, all right? That's, that's kind of what they're trying to do. The problem is you can't administer the Lord's Supper in the PCA without having the, the word preached beforehand because the Lord's Supper in and of itself doesn't have authority without the gospel behind it. And so the, the gospel must be preached. And in this service, it was a woman who gave a so-called Bible study and then they observed the Lord's Supper. So it was a sermon, functionally. Uh, additionally, the Presbytery, the Metro New York, uh, investigated this church, and they uncovered that the that church, the elders of that church, had frequently failed to ensure that preaching would take place in every worship service. So sometimes they would gather for worship, and there was no preaching. It is not a worship service without the Word of God preached, which is why technically these evening gatherings are not worship because I'm not preaching. Right? These are these are studies, but you also know we don't take communion in the evening. This is, that's an important thing. Uh, in light of these facts, the Review of Presbytery Records Committee recommended that Metro New York be cited to appear before the SJC because, in view of the committee, the Presbytery failed to adequately remedy the matter through its own investigation. There has been back and forth with the Presbytery, uh, and there seemed to have not been enough um, satisfaction in that conversation, and so the General Assembly decided on the spot to go ahead and send them to the SJC to appear before the SJC and to be cited for uh, for this uh, error. This is an important issue uh, because you hear lots of churches right now, SBC churches, leaving over having women ordained as pastors. That This is the first step in that direction if we let it go unchecked. And so that's, um, that's a part of the types of things that go on here at General Assembly and specifically related to the review of Presbytery records. Thoughts on that? Questions on that? Comments? Okay, I'm going to try to pick up the pace here a little bit. <clears throat> so, a lot of overtures come to the General Assembly, and that these overtures come to change, uh, to change the Book of Church order. We talked about Overture Seven, which is going to require permanent committees to uh, prove more accountability to the instructions that have been given to them. Uh, there is also um, Overture Twelve. Uh, these, these, I'm going to start with the ones that were approved here. Overture 12 is uh, an overture that, uh, actually this one, this one is not directly related to the Book of Church Order, but it was a, uh, an overture that the, the PCA send a humble petition to the U.S. government leaders condemning the practice of surgical and medical gender reassignment, especially of minors. So the overture came and said, we, we should, as a church, state with the authority that we have against the authority of the government, um, that what they are doing is wrong. Um, and so as a General Assembly, we, uh, I, I believe it was pretty overwhelming, voted to go ahead and send that letter uh, to the U.S. government, um, condemning the practice of surgical and medical gender reassignment, especially of minors. And so that was a step taken by our General Assembly. Another one, Overture 23. This is the one that I told you has to do with uh, sexuality, and this is adding language to the BCO. Uh, and this is both for elders and for deacons that may be elected to, um, to office in any church. This is a new uh, requirement, and it is that he should conform to the biblical requirement of chastity and sexual purity in his descriptions of himself and in his convictions, character, and conduct. That phrase right at the beginning, descriptions of himself, has been a topic of massive debate within the PCA for the last five years. 
since the Revoice Conference happened in St. Louis in 2018. If you don't know what that is, I'll be glad to uh, recap that for you later. But since 2018, we have had discussions over whether or not a pastor who happens to struggle with same-sex attraction can call himself a gay Christian and be a pastor in a PCA church. Is that language of self-description consistent with um, a, a Christian um, or in much, much more with a, um, a preacher of the word? And so we as a General Assembly voted to affirm this change to the book of church order, saying that this is now required, that a man should confirm to, conform to the biblical requirement of chastity and sexual purity in his descriptions of himself and in his convictions, character, and conduct. It is a concise, unemotional um, dealing with a lot of these sexual issues that have come and gone over the last years. Uh, And it it is not yet ratified because, you remember, it has to take a majority at General Assembly. Now it has to be voted on by uh, positively by two-thirds of the 88 presbyteries and then return to GA next year and voted with a majority again in order for it to become a part of our Book of Church order. This one is going to face a lot less, and if, if I understand it, it's going to face a lot less um, pushback and a lot less discussion around it in presbyteries this year because it is very straightforward, very clear, uh, and I think does a good job of dealing with the, the issue we have at hand. Can you contrast that to the uh, overture that failed in yeah. presbyteries? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there was one last year. Uh, it was famously Overture 15 last year. And I'm not going to get the wording exactly right, uh, but it says that a man who identifies as homosexual is unqualified from holding office in the PCA. There are certain um, words and phrases in there that a lot of people took issue with. First of all, homosexual, that word is used very differently by different generations. Second of all, describes himself as, what does that mean? Is it... um, there were a lot of discussions around it, and that one was identifying a specific sin, uh, where which many thought was going to not necessarily be um, obsolete, but it's going to be so narrow it'll be useless in years down the road. Whereas this one includes all um, all issues of chastity and sexual purity. So this one seems to to be more of a useful statement. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that. That one was the one that passed in the General Assembly, but did not pass in the in the Presbyteries. Correct. The, the, the one you just read. Mm-hmm. Correct, and it was well over a majority, but it wasn't quite two thirds voted to uphold it. So this new one is now replacing it in the Presbyteries, and will be voted on again this year. Personally, I find this one much better than last year's. Yeah. So this is going to be a three-year process. You're talking this just happened. Yeah, I mean, this stuff has been happening since 2018, and we're finally getting to the point where we're getting to some language that we think is dealing with the issue in an unemotive way uh, that's actually going to be helpful. So, questions about the current Would he be able to serve or no? Uh, give me some more details. Would he, who is he? Um, someone who would identify as a homosexual. So, so yeah, right. I'm not clear on what the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What yeah okay. Means. So good good question. Um, this is not saying that a man who dies to himself every day in his same sex attraction 
uh, is unfit for ministry. This is saying someone who calls himself a gay Christian, therefore taking on the identity and a lot of the other baggage that comes with that term, is not fit to be a pastor in the PCA. Does that make sense? But the way it is now, if he's dealing with it in a godly way, it Absolutely, absolutely. And there are plenty of men like that in the PCA. Yeah. Yes. Well, this is not just. Is this overture specifically changing verbiage just for the requirements of pastors or the requirements of elders and this, this is all elders and deacons. So when I say elders, that, that applies to both teaching elders who are pastors and ruling elders who are. Yeah, so elders and deacons, yeah. Okay. Yep. So I had a conversation with my son, Josh, who's mm-hmm. a, a PCA pastor in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to him, Josh, what's the difference between an individual who experiences same sex attraction? And, and that mm-hmm. statement that mm-hmm. this individual says mm-hmm. identifies itself as gay. Because mm-hmm. some people think those two are the same thing. Mm-hmm. And his answer was very helpful. He said, someone who um, struggles with same-sex attraction, they don't call that their identity. And the word identity is the distinguishing mm-hmm. factor. Mm-hmm. Right. That what the PCA is saying is, we do not embrace the notion of identifying yeah. That your identity is in this, right. but your struggle may be. That's right. And that was pretty significant, I thought, the distinction mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. the two. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that's well put. And I didn't understand it before because I thought in our culture, those use of words are used interchangeably, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but they aren't. Yeah, yeah thank you for, for pointing that out. I think that's, and that's, that's what this is trying to get at. Your identity is in Christ. Yeah. And, and you, you should not call yourself something that Christ is not okay with. Like, we should not ever identify with our sins. We should identify with, with him. Um, and, and, and so then there have been other discussions, and, and kind of leading us down a trail here, but people should say, well, should I ever say, like in my Instagram bio, I'm a sinner saved by grace? Because you're not a sinner anymore, right? By, in God's eyes, you are, you are righteous. Um, so that's, that's kind of the straw man argument that's, that's you know, put back in response to this. Further thoughts? Um, you mentioned, this may be another topic, you mentioned something about the um, PCA seminary and its direction. Is its direction related to this stuff? I don't know anything about it's, their I wouldn't say it's directly related to this, no. But it is in the same town where all that Revoice stuff was happening, and there's a lot of connection with it. Is Revoice a PCA event? That's part of the sticking point. It was hosted at a PCA church, but it is not a PCA event. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. So we can save that one for later. Okay, let me see if I can just get a couple more here. Um, there is, there's, there's a movement in a lot of churches uh, right now to not have deacons um, because what they'll do instead is have a, um, a diaconal team with men and women on it. So there's no ordained deacon in that church. Um, And the PCA does not believe that women uh, can hold the office of deacon or deaconess. Therefore, um, there is an overture that came to the General Assembly this year saying uh, that we need to add language to our our constitution uh, about officers in general. So this is elders and deacons. So, And here's what it says. Furthermore, unordained people shall not be referred to as or given the titles of the ordained offices of pastor, elder, or deacon. So you should not officially call someone 
pastor if he's not been an ordained pastor. You cannot officially call someone an elder if he's not been an ordained elder, and you cannot um, call somebody an official deacon unless he has been ordained as a deacon. So you can't use the term deacon broadly in an unordained sense uh, to both men and women. And so there are some, um, there's going to be some response to that. Now, that could just very simply be a, a change where, you know, a church comes back and says, well, we don't call them the diaconal team anymore. They're just our ministry team. Yeah, but you still need to have an office of deacon. I, think, I mean, that is, that is a part of what, how, how Christ designed this church to work, is to have both of those offices, elder and deacon. We see that in Acts 6. And so you're actually withholding that office from men who, whom God has called to hold that office, who are qualified for that office, if you fail to use that term. So that would end up being the next conversation down the road. There were a handful that were not approved. Um, one of them, this is probably going to be our last point because of time here. Um, well, let me just tell you, I'll try to really quickly move through some of these and we'll get to the, the, the slightly heavier one. So first is, um, one church said, we should require background checks for all ministers and officer candidates in the PCA. Um, in, the, like, in theory, it sounds like a great rule, great idea. In practice, it's really hard uh, because what if you have um, a Korean serving in America. He doesn't have the proper identification. He doesn't have um, the proper documentation in order to have a full background check here in America. It's, uh, it's putting an undue burden on the, on the elders, perhaps, of that church as they're trying to call an officer. Also, state to state, a background check varies. Uh, so uh, what was suggested is that instead we highly recommend and strongly encourage churches to do background checks on, on all uh, elders, uh, ministers, and officer candidates. And of course, this is in an attempt to protect um, the people of the church from predators, from people who may be sneaking wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, there, I'm not going to even get into that one. Um, there are more details if you're interested. We can talk about them. You can actually find a, a summary of these things on the PCA's magazine website. Kind of gives you bullet points of what how different items were addressed. But this this one here is Overture 13. This one was not approved. And Overture 13 would like. For the BCO, there's a, there's a requirement in our BCO, Book of Church Order right now, that says in, in a church court, that is when there is a trial, uh, a judicial matter, um, people can only give testimony in the church court if they believe in God and in an eternal um, heaven or hell, like heaven and hell. So this eternal consequences. Uh, part of the reasoning being um, this, is a, this is a spiritual court. Uh, we need to have people who are going to be reliable, who, who, who are going to have the incentive to tell the truth by believing in God um, and have the incentive to tell the truth by knowing that there is consequences, there are consequences if they don't tell the truth. The concern with it is what if a, a pastor um, abuses somebody, an atheist outside the church, now that atheist cannot come and bear witness in a church court against that pastor. So the, the attempt is we need to try to protect the, um, the abused within the church. And so this was a real sticking matter. This got the longest discussion out of anything that I remember um, at GA this year. And it did not pass for a few reasons. First of all, um, in my understanding, as I looked at it, the, the, again, the language that was proposed to change the BCO confused some categories. So it really became um, 
it became a useless addition to the to the book of church order. Um, I ask you to take my word for it on that. I don't have the language in front of me right now. Um, it's going to come back next year with more precise language. It's going to come back with, uh, hopefully, with, with less issues in the verbiage. Uh, I know people who are going to be working on it this year. Uh, and I think uh, then the question is not who can testify in court, but you have to let the jury, that is the elders of the church, you have to let them then decide in light of all those who testify in court who's reliable, who's not. Right, so then the judgment needs to come down to judging their credibility um, rather than their, um, oh, there's another term, I'm blanking on the term. These, they're legal terms, and I, I, I don't actually, I'm not actually familiar with them all myself, but I, my brother is a former lawyer, so I get exposed to some of these terms from time to time. They go in one ear and out the other. Um, but in other words, um, I think it is important for us to go ahead and be proactive about making sure that we're not a church that hides abuse and that we are protecting those who, who may be hurt by, um, by people in the church. Uh, this was, did not seem the right way to be the right way to do it. So hopefully we'll have a better one to vote on next year. Yes. Um, in the broader American political scene, there's a little bit of kerfuffle right now about, uh, the, religious exemptions for reporting acts. Mm-hmm. Or, um, so like you as a teacher are required to report things that uh, come to your attention um, and there's a carve out for ministers. Mm-hmm. Um, originally it was um, and is still um, the justification is that so uh parishioners who feel safe confessing to their ministers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like uh, at least people are concerned that uh, it has allowed for the systemic hiding of abuse uh, mm. among and within the church. Mm. Um, and so I'm wondering, is that uh, you talked about this overture that didn't pass, but are there similar conversations that are addressing, hey, we're looking at uh, potential shifts in the broader political system that would bear on similar topics. I'm sure those conversations are happening. I am not aware of them. Um, I, I would not be surprised if a conversation, if an overture like that comes up in the next couple of years to the General Assembly. But I'll, I, don't, I don't know about those right now. Yes? Was there any uh, report given to um, the General Assembly on the, um, the impact and the fallout or whatever of the shooting in, in Nashville? How, how are they doing as a church, yeah. as a pastor? His yeah. daughter, right, was one of the victims? Yeah, one of his daughters, yeah. yeah. update on how they're doing? Um, there was a little bit. Um, I mean, it was, it's been a hard three months for the PCA, um, losing three... three um, stalwarts of the PCA plus the, all the shootings, six people in the shootings. So that it was kind of, the whole thing was cast in a tone of grief, uh, which is an ironic um, tone for the 50th anniversary yeah. of the church. And uh, there, there were some videos on Covenant Church in Nashville, and um, one of their pastors was on the video kind of giving an update and asking for prayers and um, just a a reminder that they are holding on to Christ, but this, they're grieving. I mean, this is a, 
unbelievable tragedy. So I, I can't, I can't give you a specific report saying, yeah, they're doing really well. They've been doing this and, and or they're still really struggling through this. There weren't any personal details like that shared. Uh, did the I, pastor stay in ministry? Did that? Oh, I, I believe he, if he's, I'm sure he has stayed in ministry. I, I, th- there's been no discussion about that. My question now is like, is he still on leave? I would, I would assume so. I've not heard. Uh, he's probably still on leave for some time. Um, Maybe he's back at it. Maybe he's just decided this. He needs to get back and and use it. You know, do his ministry. I'm not sure. I'm speaking out of turn right now. All right. Let me go ahead and close us in prayer. Thank you, Lord, uh, once again, for hearing our prayers. We thank you for protecting um, your church. We thank you for the good decisions that were made. We pray that you would continue to uh, help the PCA be a faithful church. Let us not be content to just be as we are, but to continue to pursue um, the purity and peace of the church in all areas and all arenas and to exalt the name of Christ. Uh, Thank you for this time that we've shared. We pray that we would leave this place uh, encouraged, not that the PCA um, is perfect, for it's not, but that you are king, um, are, are good, and you will carry us uh, to that last day. And we pray that you would continue to exercise your authority in the PCA, that we would be a church uh, that is faithful to the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.